Minister, of course, you know, a lot of the focus here is on how do we as South Africa actually make sure that we benefit from this very strategic partnership with uh, the other BRICS nations. And I think your portfolio is one of those where we really want to see uh, the benefits coming through because we've got China, we've got India. These are nations that are really at the top of their game, especially the technological game. So what are we gaining from this partnership in that regard? Thank you very much. I think uh, South Africa, we're a very small economy with very few people. Immediately, as part of BRICS, we have got access to billions of the market uh, people can trade with. But in our sector, for instance, in the telecommunications, we are, we are cooperating on the innovation side, we are cooperating on uh, building the gadgets, we are cooperating on the software. Those are the key things which are going to drive this new economy called Fourth Industrial Revolution. Uh, as an outcome of this conference, we are trying to also put a proposal that uh, we should have a, a, a working group on the fourth industrial revolution uh, to assess the impact on the jobs and what type of jobs will be needed in the future to do joint research, to do the joint training. Uh, for instance, a lot of these countries, because of their size of the economy, they are training a lot of our youth in terms of imparting them with the skills we need to participate in the future uh, uh, industries. Uh, under the fourth industrial revolution. So the, the exchange of skills is going to be quite important for us. Uh, uh, if you check, for instance, uh, <coughs> on the ICT infrastructure, we've been struggling to get uh, just the funding. Uh, earlier this morning, we met with the BRICS Development Bank executives, and they are very keen to work with us in our DPSA to make sure that funding for key infrastructure is uh, provided so that we can roll out this infrastructure to every town. But are we clear as South Africa about exactly what type of infrastructure we want, what type of infrastructure we actually need at this stage, and where and how fast we are going to get to that point? Uh, for instance, our ICT infrastructure, if we talk of broadband, is at a stage of being bankable now. That's what we're selling to the, the new development bank under the BRICS and other financiers which are here. So those are the things. But if you look at other sectors, uh, if you look at our uh, transport infrastructure, for instance, that's what we need to modernize and make it more efficient, whether it's harbors and so on, whether it's our road systems, whether it's our rail. We need to modernize. Any modern economy will need a very efficient transport and logistic infrastructure. Those are the type of things. But uh, as a developing nation, a country with uh, water scarcities, there are dams you need to build. Uh, they're talking about Mzimvu and all, all these things are going to require a huge infrastructure investment. So those are the things and uh, we are putting in our investment book, which mm. we are selling here in Centen, uh, as we have all these investors who are here and as we have our BRICS partners and uh, the development financing institutions. 
Just a final one. I, I am a bit concerned when it comes to the pace of our development as far as, um, you know, the fourth industrial revolution is concerned. And especially in the portfolio that you command, uh, you talk, for instance, about broadband. We're already talking about, you know, uh, fiber optic cables and, 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 and those sort of uh, advances. And, and this is changing every day and it's being, uh, you know, evolutionary. And we are just seeming always a few steps behind how, how, how are we planning on you know catching on with the top nations in this regard the, the first thing is that uh, for you to go to the internet of things the fifth generation networks you must have uh, passed through the 4G all these uh, networks 4G LTE mm. networks they need to be advanced. That's why we want to finalize the licensing of the spectrum so that we deal with it as quick as possible. But what is also key is uh, essential infrastructure like fiber to support this uh, fifth generation network because they use uh, uh, not long distance uh, mm. antennas. It's very short transmission. So if you have got an efficient fiber network in every town in South Africa, then we'll be able to support the 5G. Already we are planning with the CSAR the licensing for the 5G network so that there's no delay like we had with the Spectrum, which was delayed quite a lot for the 4G networks. Minister, so much to talk about, but unfortunately we're going to have to park it there. But thank you so much thank for stopping Thank you very much, Sakina and the um, Minister Siabong Atwele, a post in telecommunications, very apt this particular portfolio in terms of this fourth industrial uh, revolution, the prosperity in that regard, which is part of the theme of this year's uh, summit here in Johannesburg. Let's get some analysis on uh, some of the developments here. And I'm joined here uh, next to me by Luyanda Mpongose, who's Program Officer from SAIA, the Institute of International Affairs. Uh, welcome and thanks for speaking to us, Luanda. Thank you for having me, Sina. So let's get your first impressions of uh, the developments here. The thing is, um, I think at this point it's very hard to tell what has has been actually achieved because the signing of all the official communiques will start tomorrow. But I think just leading up to the summit and having some of the discussions, and I'll reflect on some of the discussions that were had at the workshop that was had by Sai yesterday, where we hosted um, the president of the bank, we hosted the governor of South Africa, and we hosted Minister Tanzanene. And some of the things that were reflected was that this is a huge opportunity for South Africa to invest, in, um, to attract investment and trade, to to uh, promote intra-BRICS trade, to speak about, because we do need to start the conversation on the fourth industrial revolution as, um, as said by the minister. And, and, and also, just, this is not just an opportunity for, for South Africa, but also advances into the continent. We, we, we need to see some development for the continent to see how the continent can actually um, benefit from this. And we see this through the, the invitation of key African uh, countries that are heading up the regional economic communities. So those are some of the, the nuances and the developments that are happening right now. But everything else I think we should keep our eyes peeled for tomorrow when they sign the communiques and the, the agreements. Absolutely. But you know, one of the things uh, that many people have spoken about, and I'm looking at uh, Mineral Resources, Gwede Mantashe only uh, also mentioning this, and it's about the reciprocity of this entire network. 
you know, as South Africa, we are a part of this. But in terms of what we actually gain, let's just hone in on that. A little Absolutely. Bit. And, you know, it's, it's quite unfortunate. And I understand in my studies that this is an ongoing discussions in the BRICS where the nature of the, the relationship is not quite balanced and it's not quite equal. And particularly when it comes to South Africa, where the relationship is, is driven by commodities. South Africa is, is, is giving its commodities and exporting, um, of, finished products, which is, it's not really good for our economy, it's not really good for our uh, markets, but I understand that it's also an ingoing um, conversation, and it's not just exclusive to South Africa, but this is something that's happening in all of the BRICS countries, and this is seen by the BRICS countries not being able to sign a free trade agreement as yet, whereas South Africa has a free, tra- free trade agreement with um, with the European Union. Mm-hmm. And, and also quite a bit of talk around uh, the trade war, Absolutely. Um, but we understand that that is not going to be the focus of this particular summit. The focus here is more on that um, intra uh, partnership trade uh, between the BRICS nations and not so much on the trade war. But should that be a point of discussion here? And in my understanding, I, I, I got from yesterday's event as well when we did have the high level um, panel is that these are conversations that are happening in all the forums where the BRICS meet because this summit is not the only forum where the heads of states get to speak and the foreign ministers, but they do meet at the IMF, they do meet at the sidelines of the G20, they do meet in various other forums. And this has been a very pertinent discussions where the BRICS have come up and said we actually support multilateralism and we do not support um, the protection of markets, particularly by the United States. So that has come off very clearly and I see that as something that happens within all the discussions that are having, especially the discussions that will happen on Friday on trade and investment. Mm, which is very interesting yeah. because the, the, they are quite insistent on you know, trying almost to shy away from that, yeah. steer away from that particular conversation. But it's interesting that you are saying it is happening. It is happening in other conversations. I have I have gotten the, the 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 sense that this is something that's very important to them, and in my studies and interactions, it's something that actually comes off very clearly. And then um, also just uh, looking at uh, you know some other themes uh, that are important here, like for example the role of the new development bank, mm-hmm. because uh, many of us are looking at it and thinking, well, you know, this is probably where we'll get our salvation from. This is what will keep us away from your uh, Bretton Woods institutions. But how are we benefiting from this? I think basically to also just to 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 to, to clarify a nuance is that. BRICS in itself is a foreign policy tool for South Africa. Not the only one, but one of the amongst many. And the BRICS clearly articulates that it doesn't seek to compete with Britain with institutions, but just basically to try to provide an alternative. Especially where there's a backlog in these institutions and it takes very long to approve projects. And there's also issues of reform that have been brought up previously, Mm -hmm. which the BRICS have articulated very clearly and strongly. So the NDB, I see it as one of the foreign policy tools where South Africa now won't take all of its interest from the other institutions and just look solidly on the NDB, but the NDB will be one of the institutions with which uh, we will look for funding. But given, for example, the infrastructure backlog that we are sitting with as a nation, mm-hmm. and we are expecting you know, to get some form of relief, financial relief Absolutely. from this bank, uh, to date, you know, what can we point to tangibly that South Africa has actually gained as a result of this? And I think maybe perhaps this is a mis- uh, something that the government can perhaps do better in communicating some of the developments and communicating some of the challenges that it faces. And, you know, because it was reflected yesterday at yesterday's uh, event that 
that an amount of 780 million has been uh, approved for South Africa's projects. And we are looking at projects at Eskom, which has been halted, if the expansion of the Durban port and, and so forth. But it, it's not quite clear yet uh, when we can expect um, those projects to commence. It's not, the timelines are not very well articulated. And I mean, also that's something that's of a concern that we hope that we will get from our deliberations uh, um, these coming days, is what is the role of the African Regional Center? Are they opening up membership? If so, what will be the scope? Will it be, will it be all African countries or will it just be a few several countries? It's, it's, I don't think that is communicated well enough and that's something that they can perhaps improve on. I have to ask you about, you know, not just the developmental agenda, but also the gender agenda within that developmental yes. agenda. Yes, and it's so interesting because I've actually just co-authored a paper with a colleague at the South African Institute of International Affairs, and we look exactly at that because one of the themes is gender and, and agenda in the women's forum. So actually look at how does that actually feature, and we did a study where we examined um, what is actually going on in these individual countries when it comes to women? Do women have their own sort of like issues that are discussed in a vacuum? Or actually they are featured in the developmental agendas and all the discussions that happen within the BRICS. And, and, and it's important because women are the drivers of development. And it's, it's, it's important that they're included in all the scope of the conversations. Uh, have you seen enough of that in uh, all of these Not frameworks? Yet. Not yet, but we are hoping that now since South Africa has sort of introduced or, or, or proposed this gender forum that it will going it will be done going forward. We're going to take a short break and uh, in fact we won't take a break. What we'll do is look at some of your comments because uh, they actually pertain to uh, the reason why we are coming to you from the BRIC Summit today and uh, uh, Luanda Mpongose is still with me so um, I'm happy about that. Uh, Program Officer at the Institute of uh, International Affairs and uh, very interesting discussions uh, you know, around some of the expectations that people have uh, what has actually materialized, what have we gained, what are the opportunities um, uh, and achievements that we as a nation have, of course, uh, managed to leverage from our uh, participation, our partnership with other BRICS nations. So we'll continue with that. Let me read a few of your messages, though, before I continue. So uh, Mike and Newland says, uh, 10 years, five expensive conferences, and absolutely nothing to show for it. The guy who was unemployed 10 years ago remains unemployed. And then Unati Kwaza says, in Kailicha, for example, uh, thugs dug out all the cables that were recently put along the road uh, for exactly what the minister is talking about. So what's left are open trenches that are a danger to the same people. We have a long way to go. And then Ayanda Faya Makabane says, uh, Sakina, I'm looking forward to see how... uh, Ramaphosa will behave in the presence of Vladimir Putin uh, since he removed Putin's friend Jacob Zuma. Ngabayomzi um, Kwankwa, who's a member of parliament from the Democratic Al- uh, for the UDM, uh, says, um, question is, are they not employed by the taxpayers to ensure reciprocation? Uh, that's our leaders, that is. Um, what have they been doing all along if we are complaining that, you know, there is perhaps a lack in that regard? And then um, Stanga says, uh, so true, there is no reciprocation at all, a one-sided trading relationship. And that, of course, leads from what uh, Minister of Trade and Industry Rob uh, Davies had to say earlier on about uh, this particular situation and uh, perhaps for those of you in case you missed it uh, let's just go back to it and uh, have a listen to exactly what uh, Minister Rob Davies had to say. Of course we welcome 
the announcements that were made by President Xi Jinping yesterday, which I think should go uh, some considerable way uh, towards uh, narrowing uh, the gap. But I think that the broader point that we want to make is that we believe that the path of investment-led trade, which supports complementarity, which supports moving us all up the value chain, supports a broad-based rollout of the new technologies of the fourth industrial revolution in a way which, as our theme is saying for this uh, BRICS summit, is inclusive and supports development. That is the way uh, that we need uh, to move further forward. And this speaks to the uh, uh, important initiative that has been launched by our president, President Ramaphosa, of seeking to raise the quantum of inward investment into the South African economy uh, by uh, $100 billion uh, US dollars over the next five years. Now, also to refer to our president in the little clip that was played right at the beginning, our president pointed out that the significance of a BRICS summit is not that it is just a meeting of leaders, but it is a people-to-people -people, uh, interaction as well. And that includes an interaction of business people. Because in the end of the day, if investment is to flourish, if investment-led trade is to flourish and deepen among us, what this depends on is it depends on project-level definition of a way forward. It depends on project-level cooperation uh, between uh, our uh, different partners. And this project-level cooperation is not going to come from governments. This project-level cooperation is going to come from business people, the actual operators uh, of uh, our projects. And that was Trade and Industry Minister Rob Davies uh, saying that uh, there are more South African businesses investing in BRICS countries, but there isn't enough reciprocation in this regard. And he was, of course, speaking here at the BRICS Business Summit uh, in Santon. And uh, the international leaders and, of course, uh, many business leaders are attending uh, this business forum today here at the, the BRICS Summit in order to try and uh, thrash out, you know, some of the trade issues. And they is also saying that there should be more cooperation within the BRICS countries. Luanda, of course, uh, you hear many of the listeners agreeing, yeah. you know, that uh, this is a skewed partnership. Mm -hmm. But what can we realistically do? If we look, for example, comparatively to the size and the scale of the economies um, of countries like China, like India, like Russia, like Brazil, mm -hmm. you know, what can we realistically do in order to propel ourselves into a more equitable space in this uh, uh, arrangement. I think, I think Sakina, um, the thing is, I, I know we've been hearing about industrialization and, you know, for a very long time and infrastructure, and it's become very frustrating because a regular person wouldn't know how to tra translate that. But to be to be frank, it's very hard for South Africa to be able to produce its own project products if it doesn't have the necessary um, um, sector for industrializing. So that's why there's been such an emphasis on having our own industry that will be able to 
to produce our own products so we can be able to export these and actually stimulate our economies um, um, respectively. And But what's stopping us in that regard? That's that's a good question. What is stopping us? We don't have the, the financing to do so. I think previously it's been an issue of South Africa not being able, or African countries in, uh, in, in that respect, being able to get sufficient funding from the, from the traditional financing institutions um, of the multilateral uh, international scope, right? And now that we have the NDB, there is money that has been approved. But now in terms of when and how those timelines can be communicated so that we can just get this show on the road already, it's, it's not quite clear where the backlog is. And mm. that's something that government needs to perhaps communicate to us. And even us in our research, we can get the figures of how much has been approved. Some things the NDB is not at liberty to say yet because they will be discussed here at the summit. But it's, it's just trying to get the what is going on, when can we expect those industries to be, the projects to start so that we can get those industries going. And, and this would lead to more South Africans being able to have businesses, to be able to export and to be able to open up their own businesses in other BRICS countries. Mm. And, and, and there's so much to talk about there, uh, the interview earlier with uh, Minister Siabong Matkoele and uh, talking about this fourth industrial revolution and shared prosperity Mm. in that regard Mm. as a theme of this particular summit. And and, I mean, if you can indulge me just to link a business perspective with this fourth industrial revolution that a lot of people don't know what it really means. A fourth industrial revolution is just being able to innovate and use technology efficiently. If you look at examples of China, and and this is something that's good about the BRICS because we promote knowledge sharing and knowledge transfer. China has gotten this technology thing online and it's something that we can learn from. They have um, channels like Alibaba where people can actually conduct their businesses online wherever they are, even in the most rural areas of China. They've got um, a, a company called Ofo. Ofo allows for people to be able to rent bicycles on the streets just using their phones. They've got an app on WeChat where they've become so digital that you don't even need to carry cash because even at a shop, you can just scan your barcode on WeChat. And that's, that's, how, that's the direction that we need to take and we need to innovate and we need this technology. But we know this. We have known this. And we are keeping company with those who, as you say, have this on lock. So why is it then? that we find ourselves in the space where we are continuously talking about we need to, we need to. Why? Because evidently this is meant to unlock certain opportunities for us being um, a, a member nation of BRICS. So why are we not taking advantage of that? We're struggling with DTT. It's 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 uh, yeah it's it's a bit it's a bit complicated. But just to to give you a, a, a bit of clarity on this fourth industrial revolution, this is something that's very new, especially in the public discourse. I mean, um, the president of the bank yesterday did share with us that when they were drafting the strategy for the new development bank three years ago, they did not incorporate this into the strategy because it was not a thing at the time. However, they've realized the growth and the need for a fourth industrial revolution and to have a conversation around that, that all the discussions now actually have to go around the fourth industrial revolution. And to be fair, the bank is fairly new. The bank was only instituted three years ago. In, in, if you compare it with the traditional financing institutions which have been around for eons, for donkey years. So I also think it's time, it's, it's time for South Africa to take stock with BRICS being 10 years, see what works, see what hasn't worked and then take it from there. And so many more very interesting discussions. Uh, before we go to that break, uh, lest I forget, uh, Luanda, you were showing me something earlier about uh, the cost of, you know, uh, the Internet of Things as a 
world were yes. and, and, and what we have access to, what we don't have access to, that we actually can have access to if the world existed as it were and if the world existed domestically because we can't look at the international or the BRICS we have to sometimes fix things that are, are not existing internally and Minister Kwele did say speak about trying to get licensing for the 4G and now trying to get the licensing for the 5G and why are those things taking so long indeed uh, the, the, the example that you were showing me earlier on Yes, I will pull that up for you now, where basically the example just gives an indication of how much it costs annually to have um, a DSTV subscription as opposed to a Netflix subscription. And DSTV annually, you're looking at 23000 whereas with Netflix, something that we need the internet for is about 3000 4000 per year. And those are the things that we're looking at. Mm. And, you know, it, it, it does require will, it requires foresight, you know, uh, there are many components to this thing, many components that you need to bring to converge, you know, in the right place, because you're talking there about, you know, your multi-choice subscription uh, vis-a-vis your Netflix. Netflix subscription and just how vast the discrepancy is there. And I was speaking earlier this morning to the CEO of Naspers, and, and, and he was indicating that they now are at a point where 80% of their business is online. That's where things are moving. This is the fourth industrial revolution taking root right now. And of course, they had the foresight 20 years ago to buy into 10 cents and then find themselves in a position where the stake they have in 10 cents is bigger than the entire rest of the portfolio of NASPERS here in South Africa. Um, and we're talking there in the region of $112 billion. So it's, it's massive, this thing. But what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We'll talk more about it after this. Mmm, this is so delicious. What's the occasion? I just want to add a little vavavum to our relationship. I'll be right back. Oh, there she goes again. I'm out of here. Hi, Bo. Tamba! Oh, he's gone again. Man, don't run away from your problems. SMS help to 32110 or WhatsApp us on 072-315-2574 for help with your relationship difficulties. Keys and C's apply. SMSs cost one red. Sakina Kamwendo on SAFM. And uh, welcome back. And, you know, uh, talking about uh, all these things uh, that are going on here at the BRICS Summit, fascinating discussions and trying as much as possible, you know, to bring it down to a level where people don't feel the need to say, this is nothing to do with me. This is some elitist summit happening in Santon. Uh, yes, there is an element of perhaps not communicating well enough uh, with the nation regards to what exactly is going on here, why it is important, why we should care about it. But we have tried our best and we will continue to try our best to bring it home as best we can. So one of the other areas is, of course, uh, pharmaceuticals and how we are faring and uh, optimizing opportunities from being a member nation of BRICS in this regard. And earlier on, I sat down and spoke to the CEO of CIPLA, and uh, that is Paul Miller. And very interesting discussion once again, and here's some of what he had to say. So CIPLA is a pharmaceutical company, and we have representation pretty much most countries around the world. And we've been serving patients and healthcare um, givers for over 80 years. 
So it's our area of expertise, it's our passion. And if you're thinking about BRICS, you're starting to think about maybe one of those five countries. And CIPL itself is very well represented in India. We're one of the leading companies in India. In fact, 40% of all the patients that we serve are based in India. And then also South Africa and Africa, where more than 25% of our patients are living. So in the BRICS um, context, CIPL is very relevant. And we've put our focus primarily on emerging markets, whereas most pharmaceutical companies would have focused on America or Europe while we do, it's not our primary uh, market or focus. So uh, it makes perfect sense that you would be here. And we'll talk later on about, you know, some of the countries uh, you mentioned, India, uh, but just exactly, you know, what you may be doing in other parts of the BRICS nations as well. But according to uh, the World Health Organization, and uh, just to dredge up some stats here, uh, they say that, of the five member nations of BRICS, uh, these five member nations uh, make up 25% of the world's gross income. And with that, of course, uh, also over 40% of the world's population and 40% of the global burden of disease mm. as well rests with these five countries. That's massive. It's a big challenge. Um, if you think about India, pretty much a third of their population has access to good health. Two-thirds of their population are living pretty much in rural locations. So that's a challenge. Brazil, Russia um, have similar challenges with an aging population. And your infectious diseases in those areas are not as important as they are for the, the non-infectious diseases. So we're thinking of diabetes, hypertension, and that's what's killing off many people living in the BRICS area. Even in South Africa, 40% of deaths in South Africa are not to do with infectious diseases like TB or HIV. They've got to do with non-communicable diseases, so diabetes, heart failure. Um, cardiovascular risk. So this is a big challenge and as our population starts to age and we get control over HIV and people are living longer, we need to think more carefully around how do we go about treating and also providing wellness to our populations living within the BRICS area. And we spend, you know, quite a sizable amount of our GDP as South Africa, around 8% of it on, you know, uh, health care. But are we getting value for money in that regard if we compare and juxtapose that uh, to our BRICS partners? So, Sakina, this is the, the challenging discussion in the country at the moment. Um, 8.5% of our GDP is spent on health. That's double what is spent in other BRICS countries. They're more in the region, about 4 to 5%. In fact, the majority of our budget um, when it comes to health is not that effective. And we're starting to see that play out if you look at mortality, um, life expectancy. Life expectancy in this country is 63 years of age. In comparison to the other BRICS countries, it sits between 70 and 79 years of age. So clearly there's something happening there. Child mortality, 36 deaths out of 1,000 before the age of one, whereas you would expect in other BRICS countries, single digits. So we've got to rethink around our health model. And clearly, more money is not going to make a difference. So we have to start thinking of different ways of bringing about a new health model that will make an impact. I don't think U.S. has got the solution for us, and I definitely don't think Europe has. They're based on different economies. 
different history and different disease profiles. But in Africa, we've really started to come up with unique solutions. You think about a large-scale um, drug rollout for HIV, um, prophylactic approaches for malaria, for parasitic conditions. We've done it. We've done it in the BRICS countries and we've been very successful. So maybe we should look to ourselves for our solutions. Uh, one of the factors uh, for lay people is always the cost of medication and especially in emerging market economies where people always complain about you know these parallel health systems that we have you have first world uh, treatment that those who have can afford and then you are stuck in third world uh, mode with those who can't afford it mm. and the government cannot be burdened with you know coming up with the solution by themselves so as a private sector player and, you know, drawing on the benefits that could be derived from BRICS, you know, what sort of role can CIPLA, for example, play? Um, in addition to what you're already doing, how can you perhaps come to the party more proactively? So I think if you're considering BRICS in the context of this question, again, you want to understand what is the role of corporate and how does corporate work with government on common agenda points? And I think access to health is a critical, critical common agenda that sits between pharmaceuticals and the government of South Africa. Um, we want to make sure that there's access to health care. We want to make sure that um, wellness is a right for everybody. And the price of medicines has come dramatically down. And we see that with the advent of generics. We more recently launched a biosimilar um, called Fulgrastum, which is a cheaper version of a biologic. Um, and, and it means that many, many more patients are going to get access to that product. But it goes beyond the price of medicine. We have to also start thinking about our health system. And, and we've been talking a lot about what can we do as CIPLA, and we've been developing in rural locations, underdeveloped locations, what we call Sharp Left and also Where To. And these are models that will fit very well into the NHI system where patients in these remote locations can get access to health. We can leverage nurses that are trained to prescribe scheduled medicines and we can elevate them and allow them to have a much more critical role in those remote locations, making sure that people get access to good diagnosis, they get access to good treatment protocols, and not only that, there's, there's a good follow-up and the outcomes are tracked. So we developed a number of these in conjunction with the, with the government and in collaboration, we believe these will become good models on which NHI could leverage as they look to roll out healthcare much broader than just in the major hospitals and the major metropoles. And then uh, just looking at the theme of uh, this uh, 10th BRICS summit mm -hmm. here, uh, BRICS in Africa, collaboration on inclusive growth and shared prosperity in the fourth industrial revolution. Mm. So um, immediately you think, you know, China, you know, technological advancement, cutting edge uh, technology there. You look at uh, India and you think, you know, uh, you, with the space that you play in uh, mm. the pharmaceutical space. How then, you know, do we move forward? And we are lagging behind as South Africa when it comes to the fourth industrial revolution. But our association with these other um, nations that are really at 
the, the, the they are at the cut and thrust level of whatever developments are happening in those sectors. How do we benefit from that? And how is CIPLA specifically going to benefit and how are you going to pass it on to the consumer? We live in an exciting time. We have the opportunity, I think, to redefine as I said, healthcare in South Africa. I think some of the big major, um, not obstacles, but opportunities that exist for us is the technology. You mentioned China, you mentioned other countries, and we're seeing a huge shift in technology that's going to hit healthcare. Um, the, it's the era of large data sets. It's the era of artificial intelligence. It's where things start to talk together not just things, but everything starts to talk together. And the connection of all this information, availability of it, is going to drive a deeper sense of analysis and the individual will benefit from that. At the same time, biology is advancing and progressing aggressively. We know about the genomes, the genetic, the ability now to start prescribing medicine against personalized medicine, that you don't get a medicine that's going to cause an adverse event in you. You don't get a medicine that's not going to work for you, but you get the right medicine that's going to have the biggest change of your life. We're also seeing how gene therapy is coming in, where certain genes in the DNA may be faulty, and potentially we could replace those genes in the DNA, that they will start producing proteins, and those proteins would mean the difference in terms of the patient requiring drug or not requiring drug, and the ability to heal themselves. This is a reality. We also know that um, immuno-oncology is coming around, where we're looking at ways in which we boost the immune system within the body to fight the cancer itself, as opposed to poisoning the body with chemotherapies that are not selective, that kill both the cancer cells and the good cells. So these events in the world really allow BRICS countries to start to reimagine what healthcare could look like with this large data set, plus also the biology, and when these two meet together, I think we have an opportunity to provide health care that is personal and specific for individuals, that would bring wealth and health to individuals across the world. It will change the relationship between the patient and the doctor, because patients become more empowered through mobile diagnostics, where they'll be able to carry constantly and monitor their health all the time and be empowered through simple apps and simple phones. And I think that's the future where we're going as bricks, particularly in the healthcare space. And I don't think America and I don't think Europe can go there as quickly because their systems are a lot harder hardwired and have legacy associated with them. Speaking about the opportunity and how quickly we can get there, are we optimizing on those opportunities? Though? So I think it's emerging. Um, it's not there yet. Um, I think so long as we may remain open-minded about what NHI could look like and we have an open debate around the possibilities, I think if we, we believe that just more money is the solution, then I think it's going to be more of the same. But if we start to rethink and reimagine how healthcare systems could be established using technology, using the new biology that's available, I think then we could see progression quite quickly in the next five years. Paul, thanks so much for your time. Sakina, appreciate it. 
And uh, that was a conversation I had with uh, the CEO of CIPLA, uh, Paul Miller, earlier on. And uh, we will podcast uh, a slightly longer version of that particular conversation. And uh, you can obviously get in touch uh, with us on our social media platforms and you'll be able to listen to that because it's it's a fascinating discussion. If you listen there to what he's talking about, tailor-making, you know, pharmaceutical, uh, tailor-making your medication to your specific needs. So it's no longer a matter of uh, just taking Panado and distributing it to everybody, but it's about getting into, you know, the gene technology and specifically working out what it is that you need for your genetic makeup in order to treat a particular symptom or disease. It's absolutely fascinating. And if you consider what uh, the World Health Organization told us a little while ago, uh, the five uh, countries represented here at BRICS, that's South Africa, Brazil, Russia, India, and China, those five nations actually make up at around 25% of the world's gross national income. They also make up over 40% of the world's population and also around 40% of the global burden of disease. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunity but uh, also with that, you know, comes a lot of challenges uh, that people will need to actually look into and find solutions to. But uh, just as a final word, uh, Luanda, you know, looking forward to the days ahead, and I'm hoping that we would be able to speak more because I want to hone in on more specific um, themes here, uh, if we could possibly. But, you know, what are you leaving us with today? I am going to leave you with that. I I hope by the end of the summit that the BRICS can have a clear approach on how to engage Africa, and not just superficially, but in a in a more concrete, in a more in a more visible way that actually benefits the continent, and not just the countries just you know sort of serving their own interest and 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 exporting sort of like the commodities and and you know but and i also hope in turn that africa can actually have a clear strategy on how to engage the BRICS through infrastructure development and some of the uh, uh, developmental agendas of africa just clear strategies we need we not we don't want to hear fluff we just want to hear clear strategies and timelines so that's what i'm hoping to to get out of the summit